Coming up next on Abounding Grace. Remember that your choices matter. Your choices mean everything. You'll either be closer to God through your choices or farther away. The direction you choose will be the direction of your life. It'll make you the man you are in today and the woman that you'll be this week and the man that you'll be this month and the woman and the man that you'll be this year. And before you know it, all these little choices will lead you to leave the kind of legacy and remembrance that you'll leave after you leave here and go into the presence of the Lord. Your choices are important. This is amazing grace. Hey, welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Head over to John chapter 19 as we set the stage for today's program. We're faced with decisions every day, and Pastor Ed will encourage us to make each and every choice wisely. We'll hear about some who made very bad decisions, fearing man more than God. And that's always a recipe for disaster. Here's Pastor Ed. Many times we find ourselves in situations, don't we? where we're tempted to compromise what we know to be right because of the crowd, because of the group, because of those we work with, because of the pressure of our family, because of a few new friends, or even the church environment that we're in. We're put to the test with these choices, and because of the crowd, because of the pressure. You know, we often talk about peer pressure, and almost immediately when I use that phrase, peer pressure, you're thinking of the kids and the teenagers, perhaps, where they've got all this pressure in their life. And indeed, they do. But it doesn't end when you graduate high school. (laughs) Peer pressure is with us to the very end. The Bible puts it this way in Romans chapter 12. The Bible says, be careful that you don't be conformed to this world, that the world doesn't conform you. Or in the Phillips translation in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it warns us to not allow the world to press us into its mold. And the more that the world and people influence us, the more tempted we will be to compromise our faith and to compromise when the hard decisions need to be made. And we become like Pilate, listening to the crowd. And I'll tell you, when you listen to the crowd, the crowd almost always wins. As we find ourselves caving under the pressure, it certainly would happen here. It's described in Luke chapter 23, verse 23, this way. But when they were insistent demanding with loud voices that he be crucified, the voices of these men of the chief priest prevailed. They prevailed. So often in our lives, the voices of people tend to prevail. We pull back. We step out. We compromise. I want to show you something in your Bibles. Would you turn over to Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25, please? This is so important that we learn and be reminded of this truth as we watch what it's done to Jesus Christ. Pilate is a living example in the Bible for us of a person living out exactly what Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25 teaches us. You see it with Pilate, and you may see it in your own lives. But here in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25, notice with me, the fear of man 
brings a snare. Or we might use the word trap. The fear of man brings a trap. But whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. When you fear man and what man thinks and what you're going to get or not get with man, when when we fear man, we are trapped with that fear. But whoever trusts in the Lord is in a safe place. Even if circumstances are all around, that, that that temptation to compromise in this or compromise in that, maybe it's an illegality issue. And you know, maybe if I just break the law a little bit, well, don't break the law at all. Take a stand for righteousness. Or it's that temptation whether I should share the truth or not. But if I share the truth, they might, well, don't, don't compromise in not sharing. Just go ahead and share the truth and trust in the Lord and you'll be safe. But when you and I fear man, well, we're going to find ourselves trapped by that fear. And men will prevail in our lives. And we'll find ourselves making bad decisions and bad choices that will lead to nothing good in our lives. Those of you that are more prone, those that are more prone to fearing man would be what we call today people that that see themselves as people pleasers. Now, I'm not going to ask for you to raise your hand if you are such a person. But if you are, you already know. You know how hard it is for you sometimes because you just want to make people happy and you just want to bring peace and you just want to try to calm everything down, which are great attributes to have. We need more of that in this conflicting world that we're in. However, it crosses a line, so easily crosses a line to where you're just trying to please people and you yourself are compromising your own faith for the sake of pleasing people and you find yourself trapped, don't you? So many times by what people think about you. That's what you're worried about, what people think. To stand up for what is right in this world, we're going to have to fear God and not man. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 9, we're instructed to not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread, Moses is telling the children of Israel. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Did you know that you can't have everyone in your life like you? Did you know that? Not everyone is going to like you. There are different levels of people liking you to, you have really close people that like you, and then you have people that don't like you at all. And there are some people in this world that no matter what you do and how hard you try, they still won't like you. And even if you've done nothing wrong, they won't like you. Jesus put it this way in Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 26. What sorrows await you who are praised by the crowds, for their ancestors also praised the false prophets. In the New King James, it says, Woe to you when all men speak, speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. There are people even right now that are speaking well of you to manipulate you and use you, and as soon as you stop fulfilling what they want out of your life, they'll turn on you in a second, and their true colors will be revealed. And that's a sad day. But there are those times when you cooperated with that and you feared man. And it's just not from the Lord for us to live our lives like that. It's from the Lord for us to live our lives fearing God because it's a lot easier to please God than it is to please man. Can I get an amen to that? I think you need to feel that in your gut and in your heart. It's a lot easier and, and, and it's so frustrating to try to please everybody. It just doesn't work. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, it says, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Well-pleasing to him. That's the key. We want to be well-pleasing to the Lord. 
It's easier to please God for one reason and one reason only. God knows my heart. Now, my heart's not always perfect, and neither is yours, by the way. Our hearts aren't always in the right direction. But when difficulties arise, God knows me. He knows my heart. He knows my motives. He knows the intents of my heart. When I'm misunderstood by others, perhaps, God doesn't misunderstand me. He doesn't shake his head and wonder, I don't know about Ed. What is he thinking? What is his motive? God knows me. You know what the Bible says? That man looks on the outward, but God looks where? At the heart? Well, they're both true. And so we can make these misjudgments of people because all we see is the outward. But God never makes a misjudgment about you when you fail, when you stumble, when you make a mistake. He doesn't misjudge you. He knows you. He has compassion on you. He knows the motives of your heart. Even when the motives of your heart are wrong, God rushes in to change them, to bring you closer to him. With God, I don't have to explain myself to God. I don't have to lay it all out and try to, well, I really meant this and I really, you misunderstand. I don't need to explain myself to God because he already knows. I don't have to plead my case to God. I don't need to defend myself to God or even try to convince him of the truth. He already knows and he invites me to run to him and fear him. And when I'm in fellowship with God, I'm in and you're in a very safe place. It's true in every aspect of our lives. Jesus Christ, back in John 19, is in a very bad place, misunderstood, misaligned, misjudged, manipulated for their own purposes, and yet God knows and God will use it even in your life. Verse 6. Therefore, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. And the Jews answered, We have a law. According to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid. Now you see Pilate from a different light, I'm sure. He is right in the midst of the fear of man. And we see that here. He's afraid of what they're going to do, afraid to lose his position, afraid of all sorts of things. He was more afraid now. And when again... He went again, verse 9, into the praetorium and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. There's no question in the minds of the people why Jesus was to be crucified. They're crying out crucified, and what they're mad at is that Jesus claimed to be God. That's their accusation against Jesus. That's, that's, That's where they stand. Jesus claimed to be God, and anyone claiming to be God that isn't God according to the law must be stoned to death. But you see, the Romans took away capital punishment from the Jews. That's why they just didn't go out and stone him. They took capital punishment away. So they have used the manipulation of the government to get their way with Pilate so that the Roman government might do it and they could keep their hands clean of the situation. But they believed, according to verse 7, that he made himself the Son of God. I want to give you just a little side note here for those of you that have Uh, those men and sometimes women come to your door on a Saturday morning and want to tell you about a false Jesus. And they they do. The two predominant groups that come to our door on the weekends usually are the Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons. And the Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons, they actually both believe in two different Jesuses, and those two different Jesuses aren't the Jesus of the Bible. And they'll come to your door, and if the topic of Jesus Christ comes up as it should— because any talk of faith should center on what you, who and what you believe about Jesus Christ. When you begin to talk to them about Jesus, they will say to you that Jesus never claimed to be God. 
that he never claimed to be deity, but instead, one group will say that he's the spirit brother of Lucifer, and another one will say he was the angel, the archangel Michael, and that he was never God, never claimed to be God. Well, if you're in that discussion with someone that says Jesus never claimed to be God, just open the Bible to right here in John 19, take them to verse 7, and explain it this way. Not only did Jesus claim to be God, but the people that were there with him, listening to all that he said, watching his life, experiencing the miracles and the healings, they heard Jesus talking, and what was their conclusion? He claimed to be God. Now, we're 2,000 years later. Don't come to my door 2,000 years later and say that Jesus never claimed to be God because the people that were listening to him, they killed him because they believed he was claiming to be God. Besides, by the way, Scripture after Scripture after Scripture in the Bible of Jesus claiming to be God. Uh, I've shared this with you before, but in my Bible, I have marked virtually every single verse in the Bible, in my New Testament, where Jesus claimed to be God, and it's prophesied who Jesus Messiah would be in orange. Because, you know, when you're talking to people, you get a little flustered, and you don't know what to say, and it's hard to find that verse. So I can just go through, and I say, orange, 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 and I can turn to this page, orange, orange, and then by the time I'm done with 10 or 11 verses, I can say, do you want more? And I would encourage you to go through and mark those. We did a Bible study not too long ago on who is Jesus. You can look it up on the web or on our app and just go through the list of verses and make it easy for you to find them in your Bible because it can be a flustering thing. But I don't want you to be intimidated when people come and go, well, you know, the Jesus you believe in or, you know, what you've been taught in your church is always wrong. No, we bring it right back to the scriptures. And this is just one of them here in chapter 19. They believed. They believed. That's why they killed him. They believed that Jesus claimed to be God. And what's the result here? Pilate's more afraid. He brings him back into the area, the praetorium, the the little area there on the Temple Mount. And notice again in verse 9, they went into the praetorium and Pilate tells Jesus, can you imagine this conversation? Where are you from? And Jesus gave him no answer. And then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? And Jesus answered, and this is key, guys, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who you delivered to me to you has the greater sin. Can you imagine this conversation? Jesus, again, you have to remember where we're at, so remember the context. He has been beaten bloody, close to death, unrecognizable. No doubt his body is feeling the effects. He's not standing strong and tall with authority, but rather weak and humble under the beating, which most people died from. And Pilate's bringing him out and bringing him in and bringing him out. And so he brings him in and he says, don't you know I have authority over your life, Jesus? Don't you know? Don't you understand that I can say yes to life and no to life in you for you? Don't you understand who I am? And Pilate in his fear And his fear of man becomes violently arrogant with Jesus. What arrogance this is in saying to him, do you not know I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Can you imagine how outrageous this is? Pilate is confronting the creator of the universe. And he's in a weakened state, which no no doubt emboldens him to do even worse. And in his arrogance says, hey, Don't you know? Don't you know I can kill you? 
I'm just about to do that right now. But take note of what Jesus does. He responds to arrogance with humility. He responds to arrogance with humility. His answer is, you could have no authority at all against me unless it's been given to you from above. Anything that you have, Pilate, my Father has given to you. You have no authority over me. Everything, has been co- everything that's come into my life has come from the Father, through the Father. He's not wanting to be released. He's not begging for his life here. He's not saying enough is enough. I'll do whatever you want to get. He's not getting out of this. He's calm, he's cool, and he's powerful in his reply. You have no power at all against me unless it was given. You and I can say the same exact thing in our lives. We may have authorities over us, and we, and God has put authorities over us, and they can make decisions for us or against us or whatever it might be. We're, we're talking about you know, people like Pilate, too, that, that are just unfair and unrighteous and unjust, and you can say the same thing in confidence. They have no power over you except what God has given to them. You know, I saw this recently in, because we, we fear men in our lives and we also fear those that are in authority in us, unfortunately, because we give them too much credit for the power over our lives, which they really don't have. And I was talking to a friend recently uh, in another state, another situation, and, and he was going through it and I said, I said, have you, have you talked to your pastor yet? Because I, that's the solution. The solution was in that situation that I didn't let him describe completely As far as I heard it, so so many words I knew, he doesn't need to be telling me, he needs to be telling his pastor. So I stopped him and I said, have you told your pastor yet? And his response was something along the lines, oh, no, no, I could never tell him because, man, it would be, he just wouldn't listen to me. Uh, He wouldn't receive it. It would just cause an art. And I said, whatever his response is, this is the man that God gave you. And you don't, don't prejudge him and whatever his response might be, you just need to go talk to him. And maybe that's true in your life where you're in a, you're in a situation and, and you just need to talk to your, to your husband about the situation. Or, or you just need to talk to your wife in that relationship. Or you just need to speak with your boss. You just go in and speak to your boss and don't worry. Don't you know your boss sitting there at the desk? Don't you know I can fire you? Well, just open up your Bible and say, well, let me see what Jesus says here. Uh, you can have no authority over me, but you can do that in your heart. You can walk in there with confidence that God gave you that job. That's why you're there. And you're just having a conversation. You're not going to, you know, I'm not talking about flipping out on your boss and deserving to be fired, but just sharing what's on your heart, sharing what you see in the workplace, sharing what's going on or what you need to, maybe you made a mistake and you need to own up to it. Well, then own up to it. Hiding it and stuffing it in the darkness will not prosper. The Bible says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we can share in fellowship with one another. But keeping things in the dark and hiding them It's not going to bring you to the place where it's a bad choice. It's not going to bring you to the place that you want to go. And Jesus inspires me here. It's it's not as easy as reading it from the text, I realize. But I know that when you start to have the hard discussions that you know you have to have, you're going to sense that the Lord is with you. You're going to sense his presence. It may not make it any easier. It still will be hard. But sometimes we've got to do hard things in life. We've got to make the hard decision. We've got to do what's right because it's right to honor the Lord. We need to fear God because that's the place of safety and not fear man and be a guy like Pilate where his fears now made him an arrogant man toward Jesus as if he's the power of the world. He's not the power of the world. Then one final thing, another doctrinal thing at the end of verse 11. Therefore, the one who's delivered me to you, Jesus says, has the greater sin. This is a question that comes up all the time. Are there degrees of sin? 
And the answer to that is yes, there are degrees to sin. That means there are greater sins and lesser sins. But let's be clear of what I believe Jesus means here. Sin is sin before God. And that means that Jesus Christ has died for every sin that there is, whether it is, you know, taking a candy bar, stealing a candy bar from Safeway, um, the, that type of sin, or saying an, a bad word in our minds, or all the way up to some really bad sins that, you know, that you can think of, you know, murder or some sexual sin. Or, I mean, it, it, there are greater sins, but sin is sin. So both of those examples I gave you are going to be meted out at the cross of Jesus Christ equally. His blood forgives us of all sins. And so how do we measure what sins are greater? Well, some sins create worse problems and worse consequences and worse pain and worse outcomes than others. I think of Judas's sin. I think of Judas' sin according, he sinned more and he had a greater sin because he sinned what the Bible says is according to knowledge. He wasn't ignorant of his decision. He knew what he was doing. And we're taught that the more that we know, the more that we're responsible for. And there are greater sins with greater consequences. And yet Jesus is going to the cross to pay for all degrees of sin. All degrees of sin. Every single sin I've ever committed is covered by the sacrifice of Jesus, his blood washing away our sins. And it's a glorious thing that God today would remove the guilt and shame and make us new creations in Christ. So remember, as you leave here today, remember that your choices matter. Your choices mean everything. You'll either be closer to God through your choices or farther away. The direction you choose will be the direction of your life. It'll make you the man you are in today and the woman that you'll be this week and the man that you'll be this month and the woman and the man that you'll be this year. And before you know it, all these little choices will lead you to leave the kind of legacy and remembrance that you'll leave after you leave here and go into the presence of the Lord. Your choices are important. And we need to make the right choice in the little things to enable us to make the right choices in the large things. Choose wisely. We'll stop right here for just a minute, but Pastor Ed Taylor has more to share with us, so keep it right here. This is Abounding Grace. We've been in John chapter 19 today. It's a message we've titled, Make Your Choices Wisely. You can hear this message again when you visit us online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or hear Abounding Grace through our app. Search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play to download that for free today. Still looking for a stocking stuffer or a meaningful gift for that special someone in your life? I'd like to suggest our resource of the month, a book by Lee Strobel called The Case for Christmas. Taking the approach of a journalist, Lee Strobel searches out the true identity of the child in the manger. He consults experts on the Bible, archaeology, and messianic prophecy. We'll send it your way when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. And you can place a resource request when you call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. Again, that's 877-30-GRACE. You can also order resources like this at calvaryco.store. That's calvaryco.store. Please remember this radio ministry is made possible through your generous support. And as the year comes to an end, this would be a wonderful time to hear from you. Help us finish the year strong. To make a donation to the ministry, you can do that online at aboundinggraceradio.com. Thank you again for helping us reach out through the radio with the gospel and truth of Jesus Christ.
Now let's get back to Pastor Ed for the rest of his message. Let me end here. Turn over to John 15. When it comes to choices, it's a beautiful thing. We think it's so often it's all on us and it's such a heavy burden we carry, but not really because Jesus tells us here, pick up in verse 15, would you? John chapter 15, just a few pages to the left. Jesus tells uh, his disciples, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what the master's doing, but I've called you friends. For all things I heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. I mean, just to be in relationship with the Lord, the emphasis is on the choice of God. He chose us, and he has a plan and a purpose for our lives. Have you ever lied to get what you want? I think it's safe to say we all have. We'll see where that will get you next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.